Part Three, Chapter Fourteen of War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Nathan Haskell Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. At five o'clock in the morning, it was still perfectly dark. The troops of the center, of the reserves, and the right wing under Bagration were as yet motionless, but on the left wing, the columns of infantry, cavalry, and artillery ordered to be the first to descend from the heights and attack the enemy's right flank and drive him back into the mountains of bohemia according to the disposition were already stirring and beginning to rise from their couches the smoke from the fires into which they were throwing everything superfluous made their eyes smart it was cold and dark the officers were hastily drinking their tea and breakfasting the soldiers were munching their biscuits kicking the round shot to warm their feet and crowding about in front of the fires, throwing in the remains of their huts, chairs, tables, wheels, buckets, and everything that could not be taken with them. The Austrian guides came between the Russian lines and gave the signal for the start. As soon as the Austrian officer made his appearance near the quarters of a regimental commander, the regiment began to stir. The soldiers hastened from the fires, thrust their pipes into their bootlegs, their bags into the baggage wagons, put their guns in order, and fell into line. The officers buttoned themselves up, put on their swords and pouches, and inspected the lines, now and then venting their displeasure. The adjutants, battalion commanders, and colonels mounted their horses, crossed themselves, and issued their last instructions, orders, and commissions to the train hands left in charge of the baggage. Then was heard the monotonous tramping of thousands of feet. The columns were set in motion, but they knew not whither they were going, and owing to the throngs that surrounded them, and the smoke and the thickening fog, they could not see either the place that they were leaving or that to which they were sent. The soldier in a military movement is as much surrounded, limited and fettered by his regiment, as a sailor is by the ship in which he sails. However far he goes, into whatever strange unknown and terrible distances he is sent, Around him are always and everywhere the same comrades, the same ranks, the same sergeant, Ivan Mitrich, the same company's dog, Zoltka, the same officers. Just as for the sailor, there are the same decks, the same masts, and the same cables. The sailor rarely cares to know what distances over which his ship has sailed. But on the day of a military movement, God knows how, or whence, or in what world of mystery, the soldiers hear a stern note, which is the same for all, and which signifies the nearness of something decisive and solemn, and invites them to dream of what they are not usually wont to think about. The soldiers on the day of a military movement are excited, and strive to get beyond the petty interests of their own regiment. They are all ears and eyes, and greedily ask questions about what is going to take place before them. The fog was so dense that, Though it had grown lighter, it was impossible to see ten paces ahead. Bushes seemed like huge trees. Level places gave the impression of being precipices and slopes. Anywhere, at any moment, they might fall upon the enemy, who would be utterly invisible within ten paces. But the columns marched for a long time in the same fog, up hill and down dale, skirting gardens and orchards, along by places where none of them had ever been before and still they found no enemy. On the other hand, in front of them, behind them, on all sides of them, 
the soldiers were made conscious that our Russian columns were all marching in the same direction. Each soldier felt a thrill at the heart, at the knowledge that many, many others of our men were going where he was going, that is, he knew not whither. See there, the Kursk men have started, said various voices in the ranks. Terrible lot of our troops collecting here, messmates. Last evening I looked around when the fires were lit, couldn't see the end of them. Like Moscow, in one word. Although not one of the division Nachalniks came near the ranks or had anything to say to the soldiers, the division Nachalniks, as we saw in the Council of War, were out of sorts and dissatisfied with the work in hand, and, consequently, merely carried out the general orders and did nothing to inspirit the men. Still the soldiers marched on cheerfully, as is usually the case when they are going into action, and particularly to offensive action. But after they had been marching for about an hour, all the time in thick fog, they were ordered to halt, and an unpleasant consciousness of disorder and confusion in the operations spread through the ranks. It would be very difficult to explain how such a consciousness got abroad, but there was no doubt that it was transmitted and spread with extraordinary rapidity. The uncertainty became certainty, gaining with irresistible force as water rushes down a ravine. If the Russian army had been alone by itself, without allies, then possibly it would have taken much longer time for this consciousness of confusion to grow into a general certainty. But, as it was, all took a natural satisfaction in attributing the cause of the disorder to the stupid Germans, and were convinced that the pernicious snarl was due to the sausage-makers. "'Why are we halting? What? Have we got blocked? We can't have come afoul of the French, can we?' "'No. We should have heard from them. They'd have begun to fire at us.' They hurried us off so, and now here we are, all in muddle in the middle of the field. That's the way with those cursed Germans. They muddle everything all up. What stupid devils! If I'd had anything to do with them, I'd have put them to the front. But instead, you may be sure of it, they press us from behind. And here we are without having anything to eat. Well, I wonder if we shall be planted here all day. The cavalry, they say, is what is blocking the road exclaimed an officer. Ugh! Those damned Germans don't know their own country, said another. What division are you? cried an adjutant, riding up to them. The 18th. Then why are you here? You should have been at the front long since. You won't get there now before the afternoon. Here's a stupid piece of confusion. They themselves don't know what they're up to, said the officer, and he rode off. Then a general passed and angrily shouted some order in a language that wasn't Russian. Tafala fa! What sort of stuff is he jabbering? Can't make out a thing he says, remarked a soldier, mimicking the general as he rode off. I'd have had them all shot down, the scoundrels. We were ordered to be in position by nine o'clock, and now we have not got halfway there. What stupid arrangements! And this was heard on all sides and the feeling of energetic ardor with which the army had started out began to be wasted in vexation and anger against the arrangements and the Germans. The cause of the confusion was this. After the Austrian cavalry on the left wing had set forward, those who had charge of it came to the conclusion that the Russian center was too widely separated from the right, and all the cavalry was commanded to cross over to the right side. Several thousands of cavalrymen rode across the front of the columns of infantry, and the infantry had to wait till they passed. At the front a dispute had arisen between the Austrian guide and a Russian general. 
the russian general shouted angrily demanding that the cavalry should stop the austrian insisted that he was not to blame but his superior officers meantime the army was obliged to halt and was growing impatient and losing spirit after an hour's delay the troops at last began to move forward once more and found themselves descending into the valley the fog which had been scattering on the heights was as thick as ever on the lower lands where they were now marching in front of them in the fog one shot and then a second was fired incoherently and at different points Tratat tat and then the firing became more regular and rapid and the engagement fairly began over the brook called holbach as the troops had no expectation of falling in with the enemy so far down in the valley as the brook and then met them unexpectedly in the fog as they had no words of encouragement from their commanding officers and the idea was widespread among them that it was too late and moreover as they could not see any one either in front of them or anywhere near them owing to the density of the fog they apathetically and lazily exchanged shots with the enemy slowly moved forward and then came to a halt again failing to receive in time the word of command from their officers or the adjutants who wandered at haphazard through the fog in places with which they were unacquainted and in search of their own divisions that was the way that affairs occurred to the first second and third columns which had been ordered to march down into the valley the fourth column which kutuzov himself had under his own command was stationed on the heights of the pratzer in the lowlands where the battle had already begun the fog seemed thicker than ever but on the heights it was clear still nothing could be seen of what was going on at the front until nine o'clock no one could tell whether the enemy was in his full strength as we supposed ten versts in advance or was down there in the impenetrable fog it was now nine o'clock the fog like a fathomless sea spread over the valley but on the height in front of the village of Schlapanitz, on the height where napoleon stood surrounded by his marshals it was perfectly bright over them was the bright blue heaven and the mighty sun like a gigantic hollow ball of fire just rose above the milk-white sea of fog the french troops and napoleon himself with his staff were not on the farther side of the brooks and the hollows of sokolnitz and Schlapanitz, behind which we had expected to take up our positions and begin the engagement but they had all come over to the hither side and were so near our troops that napoleon with his naked eye could distinguish in our army a horseman from an infantry soldier napoleon mounted on his little gray arab and wearing the same blue cloak in which he had made the whole italian campaign stood a little in advance of his marshals he silently gazed at the summits of the hills seeming to emerge from the fog and watched the russian troops moving along in the distance and listened to the sounds of firing in the valley not a muscle of his face it was still thin moved his glittering eyes were steadfastly fixed upon one spot his anticipation seemed to be justified the russian troops had already in part defiled down into the ravine toward the ponds and lakes and part of them were evacuating the heights of the pretzer which he considered the key of the situation and intended to attack he could see amid the fog how down into the hollow formed by the two high hills near the village of pretzen the russian columns with glittering bayonets were steadily moving in one direction toward the valley and disappearing one after another into the sea of fog by the reports which had been brought him the evening before by the sound of wheels and footsteps that had been heard during the night along the vanguard by the disorderly movements of the russian columns by all the indications 
he clearly saw in fact that the allied armies supposed him to be posted a long distance from them that the columns moving near in the vicinity of pretzen constituted the centre of the russian army and that this centre was weak enough to justify him in giving it attack but still he did not begin the battle that was a solemn day for him the anniversary of his coronation just before morning he had taken a nap for a few hours and then waking healthy jovial fresh and in that happy frame of mind in which everything seems possible success certain he mounted his horse and rode out into the field he stood motionless gazing at the hills becoming visible through the fog and into his cold face there came that peculiar shade of self-confident well-deserved happiness such as is sometimes seen on the face of a young lad who is happy and in love his marshals were grouped behind him and did not venture to distract his attention he gazed now at the heights of the pretzer now at the sun swimming out of the fog when the sun had risen clear above the fog and his dazzling radiance gushed over the fields and the fog as though this were the signal for which he was waiting to begin the affair he drew off his glove from his handsome white hand beckoned his marshals and gave the order for the beginning of the battle the marshals accompanied by their aides galloped off in different directions and within a few moments the chief forces of the french army were in rapid motion toward those same heights of the pretzer which the russian troops were abandoning more and more as they filed to the left and into the vale End of chapter 14